Amen. Please be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We will look at several selected passages, but Luke 2, 12 to 15 forms the introduction to our time and our study together this morning. I will be referring to several uh, different passages throughout this series as we look at particular hymns. Uh, We're considering, O come all ye faithful today. And you might remember last year, I started this series and I was able to cover five hymns and there are just so many good hymns uh, during the Advent season that I chose to look at five different ones this year. Now next year, looking ahead, I want to look at not the beloved hymns of Advent, but rather the lame hymns of Advent next year. So you, got, you get to look forward to next year. Like for instance, and I love this growing up, but we three kings of Orient are. Now that's a great hymn if it were not for the fact that there's probably not three, they probably weren't kings, and they probably weren't from the Orient. But other than that, it's a great hymn. So you can look forward to next year, but we're going to continue to look at the beloved hymns of uh, the Advent season today. Good hymns, those marked by sound theology and a fitting match of text and music, have endured because they are timeless and because they are based on scriptural truth. O come all ye faithful, in the form we have before us, fits the description of a good hymn, dare I say an excellent hymn. For that reason, it will be our guide in considering yet another angle on this important season of reflection we call Advent. Hear first God's word, Luke 2, 12 through 15. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us pray. Father, it is our prayer that we would uh, echo today the words of the shepherd. The shepherds, as they said, we say now, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Let us come and adore him. And Lord, as a result of our coming and worshiping, I pray that we would be different people as a result. We pray this for his glory in his name. Amen. I am absolutely convinced of this. As your thoughts of God are elevated, you will grow stronger spiritually and in joy. As we study our God, we will be lifted to new heights of understanding and wisdom. I believe that our lives are lived in direct proportion to our thoughts about God. What could be more relevant than studying God? What could be more applicable than examining what God has revealed about himself in his word? What could be more germane to life's many questions than investigating the one who is sovereign over all of it? My dear brothers and sisters, the study of our thrice holy God is in fact the highest of all human endeavors. C.S. Lewis said it well when he said, the study of God, and he used the word theology, meaning the study of God is practical, especially now. If you do not study God, that will not mean that you have no ideas about God. It will mean that you have a lot of wrong ones, bad, muddled, out-of-date ideas. The various hymns of Advent are a veritable goldmine of biblical truth about God and the sending of his own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The hymns of Advent, if contemplated and considered as we will try to do over these weeks together, will not leave you the same. The particular focus of Advent and the hymns uh, that focus upon this season 
the season that we might call one of reflection of, on the incarnation of Jesus. It gives us a new focus every year, or at least a renewed focus every year of the flesh that Jesus takes on in order to bear our sins on the cross. Packer said it very well with regard to the incarnation. He said the incarnation is in itself an unfathomable mystery, but it makes sense of everything that the New Testament then contains. I've said it before to you, and I'll repeat this, that the virgin birth itself presents no problem if God has become man, as Scripture declares. The miracles of Jesus present no problem if God has become man. The teachings of Jesus, which claim greater authority than the Old Testament prophets, are no problem when you consider that Jesus himself is God. Jesus' claims of equality with God make perfect sense in light of the incarnation. And most important, above all else, the resurrection itself is hardly unimaginable when God himself has become man. Today we begin the Advent season. Advent is a four-week season of reflection on the incarnation of Christ. Incarnation literally means in flesh, incarnas, the Greek word for flesh. For this season, we will consider some of the great hymns of Advent. And this morning, let's look together at O Come, All Ye Faithful. And very simply, the message of this hymn, as you can see, is that our loyalty to Christ and our worship of Christ are enhanced when we ponder again the incarnation itself. First, I think it's helpful to note from whence this hymn has come, the origin of it, how it came to be. The words of the hymn were written by a man named John Wade, who was a Roman Catholic layperson who was born in England in 1710. Now, this was not a good time to be Roman Catholic in England. It really wasn't a good time to be anything but the Church of England at that time. It was by decree of the king uh, made uh, legal only to be a member of the Church of England. And so if you were not, if you're a Roman Catholic or if you're a reformer, uh, so that many of the Puritans suffered under this period of time, you were persecuted sometimes at penalty of death for your faith, for your belief and your membership in a church other than the Church of England. And for John Wade, he was a very Christ-loving individual who believed that it was wrong to join the Church of England uh, under the reasons the king had get dictated. And there was movements that were going on during this time, several rebellions against this to try to restore a monarchy that would support, again, a more tolerant view of the different forms of Christianity. And the last one, known as the Jacobean Rebellion, caused great persecution because it was squashed, and then anyone who was aligned with any other church in the Church of England was under serious, serious scrutiny and persecuted. It was in this context that John Wade wrote the words, O come, all ye faithful, words that were meant to encourage those who were enduring this persecution. And regardless of the theological differences between the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church at this time, you could see the words of Wade, they're thoroughly biblical, thoroughly focused on the person of Christ, a wonderful call to focus on Christ in a time of terrible hardship for those who believed. In 1744, when he penned these words, he wrote them in Latin. Ironically, most people could not read or sing these. It was almost 100 years later when an Englishman took these words and translated them into English that they began to be sung in church. In fact, over the years, four more verses were added. Frankly, they're not at the same level of quality as the four verses we sing, which are the words written by Wade himself. Now, this is probably one of the most sung hymns in all of the church in Advent season, of course. And I think it is a wonderful 
a testimony to why hymns are written when you see and consider why Wade thought these words were so important for people to focus upon in times of hardship. I would ask you this question before we go any further and look at the words. What is our usual response to hardship, trial, uh, whatever it is you're undergoing? Is it to think about the glory of Christ in the incarnation? Now often what it is is self-analysis time, isn't it? What's wrong with me, you know, when there's a hardship coming on or a trial? What's wrong with everyone out there? Um, things are not going well for us. We're suffering from anxiety, depression, discouragement, whatever it is. Our focus, is in our, our focus and our thought is usually on us. And that's what the experts tell you, you know, do a self-examination, a self-analysis. Consider what your, your personal health is. Well, what Wade does here is very interesting. He doesn't write a story about telling how, people how to hold up under the persecution, but rather he says, think upon Christ. And think about the depth of who Christ is. Now, not the surface level stuff. He goes deep into who Jesus is. And it's his belief that this will encourage the brethren. We can certainly learn, just based on the approach of Wade, how important it is to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on God and his righteousness, his justice, his character, his willingness to send his own son for us. It's not to say that introspection or self-examination or self-analysis is of no value. But in times of true hardship and pain, only that which is eternal gets you through. And Wade writes these words, calling people to worship, coming and adoring Christ. Let's analyze together the, the words that are therein. First, consider the refrain that happens in there after every verse. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. It's a call to worship. Really, it's saying no matter what your situation, come and worship Christ. If you're sad, come and adore Christ. If you're hurt, come and adore Christ. If you're heartbroken, dismayed, bewildered, disappointed, depressed, discouraged, come and worship Christ. If you're happy today, if you're blessed of the Lord today, filled with joy, come and adore him. Anxious, apprehensive, nervous, come and adore him. The resounding theme over and over again is that our loyalty and our worship are deepened as we consider who Christ is. That's the resounding message. The refrain, O come, let us adore him, is then bolstered by all these realities revealed by Scripture and then sung in this hymn about Christ. Look at verse 1. O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Now, when I read faithful, much like what Pastor Nathan said last week about entering the dwelling place of Christ or of God, there's no way I qualify for that. And I kind of get depressed immediately when I hear such a thing because I can't come. Oh, come all ye faithful. Maybe you think that's for someone else singing next to me. God's calling the faithful to come. I'm not one of the faithful. No, you're not, and I'm not on our own. We're given faith by God. It's a gift of God. And when we're given this, we're placed in union with Christ. And when we realize it, it's when we profess with our mouth, with our lips, we trust Christ. And trusting Christ is actually the evidence of God's inner work in you. And so when you manifest this evidence, that's how you know you're one of the faithful, because God has given that to you. So come all ye faithful, simply saying, come all of, you, all of you who understand your sinners, but lean totally upon Christ. Because that's the only faithful one there is. In union with him, come all ye faithful. Not come all ye who have themselves cleaned up, or all ye who have done enough good things to get you in. But it's come all ye faithful, the ones who come to adore Christ. Worship Christ. Not a little bit, but all of him. Your life and your eternity is hung up on Christ. No plan B. That's come, all ye faithful, to you. And it stands to reason that we would be joyful in that. It doesn't say happy necessarily. Joyful is a, is a mindset about life. It's confidence in the one who controls everything. 
joyful. That's confidence that comes. And triumphant, not triumphant, triumphant based on something we have done or some victory we have won, but rather just as our memory verse refers us to Jesus disarming the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame, triumphing over them. That's the triumph we have, and that is in Christ. That's why we can sing joyfully and triumphantly. But look what it says next. Come, O come ye to Bethlehem. We're bid to come to Bethlehem because this is an unusual place of God's appearing, to say the very least. I mean, this big God chooses Bethlehem of all places on earth to come and manifest himself. That's how he works. He goes to the things and places and does the things that we would not expect to manifest his greatness. The normalness of Bethlehem is yet another uh, reach on the part of God to us common people. Uh, think of it this way. I was trying to put it into American terms. It would be sort of like him coming to Beer Bottle, Alaska. It's an actual city. Beer Bottle, Alaska. Can you imagine Jesus appearing there? How about Beehive, Alabama? Kentucky has Deerlick, Kentucky, Mudlick, Kentucky, and Bearlick, Kentucky. Why would God pick a place like that to come? How about Tightwad, Missouri? That's an actual place. Or Cut and Shoot, Texas. These are real cities and towns. My favorite, personally, is Toad Suck, Arkansas. Listen, these places seem normal. You never heard of them except for their funny name. Probably never heard of most of them. But somehow the God of the universe manifests himself in a place that is so normal that it reminds us of the greatness and the magnificence of God wrapping himself, putting himself in a place of humanity, in humanity, in order to save us, to identify with us, to bring us to salvation. Come and behold him. It says... Come and behold him, that is, comprehend him. Understand who he, all he is at the best of your human ability. Here we have before us, in Bethlehem, this place, the very king of angels made so low. Hebrews refers to this uh, kingship over the angels in an implied way. Listen to what it says in Hebrews. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, in which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while, that is Jesus, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. For a little while, just his time on earth, he makes him lower than the angels, meaning every other time, eternity past and eternity future, he's higher than the angels. He's the king of angels, and he comes to Bethlehem. Verse 1 of this hymn is a call to worship. If that's the case, and I believe it is, the ver second verse gives us a reason to worship. Look at the second verse. God of God, light of light. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God begotten, not created. These very words that Wade chooses to use come from something that should be familiar to you. On page 846 in the back of your hymnal is the Nicene Creed. And he uses the exact words that the Nicene fathers put together that they believe best epitomize what the scripture says about the deity of Jesus. Deity of Jesus meaning him being equal with God. The very phrase, listen to what the Nicene Creed says, which began in 325, but over 200 years took a more accurate form onto what we have today. Different councils of the church reviewed it and, and, and helped it as according to the scripture and how the scripture informs us about God. And look, consider what the creed says. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth 
and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten meaning sent forth from the Father, not that he was created by the Father, but sent forth by the Father. Begotten of the Father before all worlds. Now, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father. So Wade takes the exact words of the Nicene Fathers, which is a good place to refer to, and he puts it into song. God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. And here is the great contrast that continues to blow my mind all these years of studying and looking at this later, and probably for you too, that this God of God, the light of lights, very God of very God, chooses entrance into the world through the womb of a virgin, a woman. Despite being God, he abhors not the virgin's womb. I want you to think for a moment and be totally honest. How would you come if you were going to present yourself to your creation? Would you come that way? I know how I would come. I would lower the biggest golden staircase you'd ever seen. But it would be one of those twisted ones that would make you have to watch me for a long time come down from heaven down to earth. And there'd be angels set all along the post, all the way around. And all they would do would be announce my glory. After all, I made you. I mean, you're mine. It's elite. I've got that right. But that's not what God did. He came in the most vulnerable way a person could possibly come. Through the womb of a virgin. And not a woman who was of high social standing that had servants protecting her all the time. I mean, in her ninth month, in the last week, she's riding on a donkey. God of God, light of lights, abhors not the virgin's womb. Captured so well by the Apostle Paul in in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, and listen to this phrase, so that we might receive adoption as sons. We think of the concept of adoption. We are sons and daughters of God. Praise God for this. But if you ever thought of the literalness of it, is Jesus chooses by the will of the Father to come through the womb of a virgin, born like we are, in a very real sense. He is our brother, our elder brother. We're adopted as sons because of what Christ has done And part of what Christ has done is lower himself to enter earth, to take on humanity through the virgin's womb. This hymn does a wonderful job to give us reason for worship. Verse 1, a call to worship. The second verse, a reason to worship. But the third verse is a command now to worship. It's kind of building. Sing, choirs of angels, writer says. Sing in exaltation. Sing, all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God in the highest. He addresses two different people, and he essentially, or two different groups, and commands them to worship. First, the choirs of angels. Do you know, at least based on what I think Isaiah says, that God has created angels, a certain set of angels, to do nothing but sing or praise or chant praises to God for eternity. There's no indication that what happens in Isaiah chapter 6, where it says, holy, 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 over and over and over again. No indication that that just started then. And no indication that it ever stopped. So there's, there's choirs that just do nothing but give praise. They're created to praise God over and over and over again. Sing choirs of angels. 
sing an exaltation. But not just the angels. Sing all you citizens of heaven above. It's not referring here just to those who have died in Christ and have gone before us and worship him in eternity. It's all those who are citizens of heaven, which if you are in Christ today, you're a citizen of heaven. Your citizenship is not here. Now, it doesn't mean you should live as a citizen of heaven here, having influence on this place, so it looks more and more like God's kingdom. But ultimately, when we join in worship, what a beautiful picture this is, we join the heavens, uh, all those who are in heaven, the angels and those who have gone before, and we join with them with one voice as we worship. That's a true picture of worship. We should be a lot more serious about our worship when you consider who we're joining in praising Christ when it is that we come to worship him. If there's one thing that could keep you awake during worship, it should be the fact that everyone else in heaven is awake. Follow me? It's that serious. We're meeting God. And we're joining all those who call upon God based on his drawing us to himself. Or creating, like the angels, people, beings, creatures for worship. Constant worship before Christ. Irenaeus said it so well as he relates worship with the incarnation. Irenaeus, early in the church's life, said, The glory of God is a living man, talking about Christ. And the life of man consists in beholding God. So our life is constantly lived in light of beholding more and more who Christ is. We join the cherubim, the elders, the other angels, and believers have gone before us as we worship the triune God. Hebrews 12 gives us a beautiful picture of this. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I think this hymn, unlike just about all others, especially when you get to the last verse, evokes within the worshiper a sense of solidarity with the church of all time. The fourth verse, if the third verse is a command to worship, I think the fourth verse ends with the object of worship. Look at verse 4. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given, word of the Father, late in flesh appearing. Wade's wonderful and accurate reference to the very language of Scripture is again manifested in this verse. Word of the Father, a reference to the glorious passage in the first chapter of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made that is made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word of the Father, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. How could Wade write, late in flesh appearing, when the birth of Christ happened some 1,700 years before the time that Wade wrote? And for us, even when you sing it, late in flesh appearing, 2,000 years ago, do you consider that late in flesh appearing, like recently? Well, if you're eternal, that is late in flesh appearing. You know, when you're a little kid and your parents talk in terms of years, I remember when my parents would say, oh, that only happened about 10 or 15 years ago. Well, when you're 15, that's a long time ago. Okay, when you're eternal, that is, there is no beginning. 2,000 years ago may seem distant to us, but it's not to the Godhead. It's late in flesh appearing. I mean, it's really recent on the scale of eternity. I mean, you go back and you go back and you go back and you've got to keep going back and you don't get to the beginning of God. Ever. Ever. Late in flesh appearing. This is very relevant. This just happened, brothers and sisters. 2,000 years may seem long to us, but it's not to the eternal one. Late in flesh appearing, the word of the Father comes. And what are we supposed to do? All glory has been given to him. 
So we are to join in giving him all this glory. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So we have before us in this wonderful hymn a call to worship, a reason to worship, a command to worship, and the object of worship. And remember that worship, biblically speaking, is to acknowledge, to express, to declare, to give God all the glory because he is worthy of it. I want to ask you this and challenge you this to this and especially ask those who are leading home fellowship groups this week to ask your group this, these questions or give these considerations. How will you come and adore him this season? How will you come and worship him? And I think the most telling way to quantify or, or particularly say how it is I should worship, because we all know we'll be at church, we'll be here to see the candle lit, we'll be part of the Christmas Eve service, and we'll go through those different things that are valuable and precious. But that's not all there is to worship. Worship is giving God your life. Well, how will I do this in a tangible way this season? Well, this is how you figure it out. Ask yourself privately, say it among spouse, among your family, what is precious to you on this earth? What really wraps your affections up? What, what, are you what are you passionate about? Say it in your head, what is it? Give it to Christ. Give it to Christ. If you have trouble with that, maybe it's become too precious. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your money. Maybe find yourself even now thinking, I wonder what the stock market's going to do tomorrow. Brother, sister, I say give that to Jesus. Be free of that. How about your stuff? Kids, I want to challenge you. If your basement's anything like mine, there's a lot of toys that don't get played with. But then as soon as someone picks them up, even though you haven't played with it in a month, all of a sudden you go over and you want that toy back, right? I know it probably hasn't happened to any of you. I guess what I would say to you kids is give it to Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, there are a lot of places that would take those toys right now that will go to people that don't have them. And if you have trouble giving them, boys and girls, I would suggest to you that you really ought to think about why it's so important to you. And adults... We got our toys too, don't we, that just sit there and do nothing. Stuff. Why not give it? Why not worship? Why don't we come and adore Christ by giving this stuff away? How about your talents and your efforts? Take it out of the material realm. Uh, the efforts, all the things you work so hard at. Uh, can you give it to Christ? Can you lay it down at his feet? Can you do some of that activity for a purpose that is definitely eternal rather than the kind of things we strive after so often that will be over? Not even before we die. How about the activities, the busyness? Is there a way to give that to Christ? Is there a way to do an assessment and say, I'm busy, busy, the years, the months, the days are going by so fast. Can I give this to Jesus? How about your children? It is definitely uh, well thought of to be family people, family men, family women. And praise God for this. This has obviously a basis in Scripture. However, there is such a thing that happens that I, I note often, and that is it becomes what we, we would say as a child-centered home, not a Christ-centered home. Now it's everything's based on what is good for the kids, not what is good for Christ. I say, when we, we, we sing this song, come and worship him and adore him, that we should give even our kids and everything about them to Christ. The same is true for our, of our spouse, of our affections, of all the things that we are finding precious in our life. Is there a way you can tangibly give this to Christ as an act of worship? as an act of adoration, as though you're running to Christ but have to get things out of the way so you can be with him. Or give to him those things that aren't bad on them their own, but they've taken too much of a place. 
Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning, Jesus, to thee all glories given. Word of the Father, late in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. I hope, as we consider this hymn afresh this morning, that as you hear it and as you sing it throughout this Advent season, that you are not the same because of what it says. And what it says is so valuable and so powerful because it's based on the living and active Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for inspiring people to write of your word in a hymn like this, and I pray that it would draw us uh, to study more of you, to plumb the depths of who you are. Lord, I pray that as we seek to come and adore you, Christ the Lord, that we would give you all those things that are precious to us because you're more precious. And I pray that we would be changed as a result of this. And that your glory would come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals and our hymn of uh, response and preparation, 193. We'll sing verse 1 and verse 2. I'll remind you that today we do take a second offering, which is for the Deacons Fund. Deacons use it.